Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Shoot the Breeze with Alexandra Marie and I am your host, Alexandra Marie. We are continuing our mental health awareness season, episode 34. And this episode, I will be joined by David Raman, who is an author, speaker, and a life coach. Uh, David had reached out to me via Instagram and he wanted to know would I be interested in having a Mel's perspective on my show about mental health and I was all for that. Of course, of course, uh, it's very hard for men to open up and talk about their feelings, let alone talk about their feelings openly to strangers, uh, people they don't know, in hopes of maintaining their masculinity, right? So to have him want to come on the show and discuss, of course, his book, his past experiences, and how he himself was able to get out of a funk Again, I'm all for that. So without further ado, let's get David on the phone with us. So you are a speaker, coach, and author of a new book, Let It Go, How to Stop Your Past from Ruining Your Life. Correct? Yeah. I am. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, yeah, I'm uh, based here in the UK. Uh, I work as what's called a mind coach, which is like a life coach, uh, Alexander Murray, but it's I focus on helping people change the way they think and feel. So I'm very specific in what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've been doing it, I started training in 2004. So I've been doing it for a long time now. And I love my work. I love helping people transform their lives by first helping them transform their the way they think and feel, their mindset. Okay. And um, over time, it's led to me doing courses, speaking, and now the book. Very nice. So you said mind coach. I, I'm a certified um, cognitive behavioral therapy yep. mindful coach. Is that yep. the same thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to <laughs> make sure. Yeah. So in your book, you stated growing up feeling lonely and lost, never good enough, and you had little to no self-confidence, poor mm-hmm. self-esteem, everything mm-hmm. seemed dark and gray. You know, mm-hmm. you were unable to talk about those feelings you felt vulnerable weak um and the fact that talking about them would feel um very emasculating to you can you speak a little bit more about that yeah i mean it's it's the the problem which the problems which i um i suffered were are are very common these days anyway with men Mm -hmm. and women in terms of low low self-esteem anxiety stress all that those are quite common Uh, and also the 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 problem with actually talking about it as as a guy as a man 
uh, it's, it's quite common in terms of a lot of guys still don't talk about their feelings or, or their problems because it can be to them it can be they feel they can feel emasculated they it can feel disempowered vulnerable uh, and that that's quite a common thing i've found with with um with guys i worked with anyway and and with friends of mine we 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 guys we we talk about sport and other things but we don't talk about feelings mm. and it's perhaps perhaps it's something that that fe- that women females do do better than we do they they're more open uh, or or even the friends i know who are females they say that well we we, we do talk about stuff to our friends but we guys we, we don't do that and as a, as a as a child growing up uh, i knew something that wasn't right i just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin i didn't feel um good enough you know i look back and i think what feelings did i have i didn't feel good enough and i was always looking at other people thinking why are you so confident you just seem to be happy Uh, and Mm. you can make friends i used to look at people in school in my class and i just didn't know what was wrong with me and we don't because when we're growing up we don't know what's right and what's wrong and how we should feel we just see how others are and then we feel how we are so yeah by the time i was a uh, uh, in my late teens i i thought well this isn't right you know i went to university and, and my first evening in university when you're in the hall of residence mm-hmm. i just did i looked at all the other boys i was thinking i can't understand it i'm i just feel awful and you guys are all celebrating you're all happy with your pizza and I, I can't even leave my room and I, I knew I had I knew there's problems and you had to change and it was how uh, and right. you know I went through university and I pretended to be confident and in mm. certain circumstances I was happy and I could be myself and when I'm myself mm-hmm. I'm like this this is me this is the real me uh, and this is me all the time but then it was like me a few percent of the day when I knew someone, I could be myself. But other times, I it was just dark. Uh, and mm-hmm. having worked with so many people who have experienced depression, mm-hmm. they they know darkness. And I, I did have my dark thoughts in my twenties, Alexander Marie. Um, yes, I remember you know, from the book. Yeah. So, yeah, it's how I felt at the time, and I knew I had to change. Um, so, life was up and down, but more down than up. Uh, and I, I talked to friends, so I went to university with them, friends from my 20s. They can't believe that I wasn't confident. They can't believe that I was depressed. But you just hide it. You suppress it when you're in the company of others. It's, I guess it's what you think when you're all alone is then. Mm-hmm. Th- then is who you really are. So when you're all alone and there was no one around you, um, that inner conversation we have, which... This is why I do what I do, because I, I just love helping people change that inner conversation so that they end up, one, they like themselves, or better word, they love themselves for the right. first time in their life, you know? Definitely. So in your book, and just now you were speaking on um, dark thoughts, mm. and I remember reading some of the pages you sent me beforehand, mm. And some of those deep, dark thoughts were um, about suicide. 
Um, so what made you choose to want to live? Or that's the impression that I got from, you know, reading. Yeah. Yes. Those are dark thoughts. Yeah. What made me choose those thoughts? So think those thoughts? No. What made you choose to want yeah. to live? Um, what was or choose to live. Right. Or choose not to live. Sorry. Choose to live. Um, yeah, what happened was uh, I was in my mid-twenties and I'd failed a whole bunch of exams. And these were, I used to be an optometrist. So when you leave optometry school, the university, uh, you work uh, as a, like a trainee, a pre-reg um, mm -hmm. intern uh, optometrist. And at the end of the year, you are assessed and during that year, I loved it. I loved the people I worked with. I was earning very little, you know, something like $7,000 for the year. Very, very little. But you, mm -hmm. the public sees you in that position as, the, as they think you're the real deal. But they don't know the guy in the room next to you is the real deal. He's your supervisor. Mm -hmm. I acted like the real deal. And I was, uh, and I was told that, God, you, David, you're easily going to fly these exams. You're one of the best pre-regs we've ever had. And mm -hmm. I thought I would. But because my baseline confidence internally was so low, because inside I didn't believe in myself, uh, I didn't like myself, when I sat those 10 exams, I passed two. Wow. And my life was shattered because um, all my classmates from university, uh, when, when they were assessed, they passed anywhere between six and 10 all first time. So I was shattered. And when I phoned up uh, where my practice, where I was working at, mm -hmm. I told my past two, they, they thought I was joking. They spent five minutes thinking I was winding them up because, you know, I like to wind people up and joke around <laughs> like any mm -hmm. next person. But they, then they realized they couldn't understand it. They said, you, you're just brilliant. The public love you. We love you. What, how have you failed eight exams? And I didn't know myself. But I look back and I, and I can identify that my my inner self-confidence was wasn't there so I, I and I look back and I went into these exams those professional exams trying not to fail Alexander Marie mm -hmm. instead of being focused on succeeding and being myself all I was doing is trying not to fail so I was focused on failure and I failed I failed eight right. so we could reset um, in September and the final resets if we had any to do was January but anyway in the interim, I was so depressed. That's when my dark thoughts came. Um, I wanted to hang myself. That, that's the that's exact methodology I wanted to use. And I was looking for the rope. And I, I remember we, there was no mobile phones in those days because this is back in the 90s. There's no cell phones. And my mm -hmm. um, girlfriend at the time rung me and said, how do you do? And I told her and she was shocked. But she, she made her way home because she... I think she felt for my voice. She, she thought I was going to do something. Uh, and one of my best friends, he also rang as well to ask how I did. And uh, he then was on his way over. It must have been my voice. Uh, that's why. Mm. That's why. That's why they stopped me. Uh, I couldn't find a rope, but they stopped me. And they sort of wow. woke me up out of my trance. Uh, because I, I could have done it. I was so low. I was so embarrassed. I felt humiliated. I felt embarrassed. I felt shame. 
-hmm. not something I think about very often, but um, I was in a dark place uh, and I thought, I, I thought those words and I remember what I thought and the, the words were, what's the point of me? Right. Uh, and yeah, they, they saved my life. It did wake me up. And then I went on a few months later to reset. I went up to Scotland to reset mm -hmm. uh, the eight and I passed six. And I always remember hearing you passed six, Mr. Rahman. And I always remember my thoughts thinking, I'm not stupid after all. Right. You're not stupid after all. And, I, and my conversation changed. Then I thought, well, I've got two more to do and I have to pass these in January. But then the pressure was on. Um, I knew I had to pass them in January. If I didn't pass them, I'd have to reset all 10 again mm. and spend another day, another, sorry, another year as a trainee, which would have been soul destroying, to be honest, Alex and Marie. Um, but I did it. I did it. This is why I love helping people get back up from where they are. Um, right. That's why I help business owners. I help anyone I can um, get back up or reframe who they think they are and reconstruct mm -hmm. their um, self-love and, and self-belief. Because one time in life, we did love ourselves. Um, if we've lost it and we can, we can go back, we can find it uh, and um, rise up. So yeah, that was the dark thoughts. It sounds like your vibrations and your frequency were very, you know, very low and I'm very big on that, you know, vibration and speaking things into the universe. And we don't mm. know how much damage we do to ourselves, you know, yeah. and I'm a big believer in um, failing to succeed. Not to say that you were thinking that, oh my gosh, I have to fail, but not yeah. failing the test, but realizing that with failure, you know, comes knowledge and it seems as though with failing um you gained a lot of knowledge and a lot of you know self-knowledge as well yes, yes you're 100 right i agree with you um on the energy and the frequency yeah absolutely i was being um i was a low vibe i wasn't myself when i sat those exams i know that uh, mm -hmm. because the vibrational energy that i portrayed in practice they they felt and they knew they 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 thought i was going to pass but yeah it's when we we fail it's a learning and that learning is something that we can carry forward to end up succeeding and yeah of course i did succeed after that and it, it, wonderful wonderful but i failed many times since but my response has been different yes and uh, that's for me the the learning from this yes as a Buddhist, I definitely believe in responding and how we respond to suffrage. Yes. Um, so I know you have a son and you you speak about, you know, in your book and, you know, through your Facebook and Instagram about men and how men really just don't, you know, talk about their feelings. Yes. So how is the communication between you and your son? Very good. Excellent. Um, he did uh, see recently that I, I've got a book, and he said to me, "Oh, <laughs> I see you've got a book out, Dad. It's uh, 
when am I going to receive my coffee? <laughs> he doesn't, uh, he doesn't live with me. He's uh, lived with his mother for some time and uh, I'm going to see him soon when we're out of lockdown. But you know, the communication is really good. He, he'll admit he's failed in certain things and I've just been totally, what can I say? Um, I don't judge him. I let him be. Uh, and he knows that. Uh, his mother might give him rows because he said his mother gives him rows. But, uh, you know, I'm always focused on for him. Listen, I've failed so many times in my life in education, Kieran. Um, don't worry. This is not the last time you'll fail. And we can grow as individuals from every single time we fail. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's if the failure stops you from trying again, that's a problem. Right. Uh, so I'm teaching him the backdoor route. I never preach to him ever. I just, uh, even when he was a child growing up, I used to teach him gratitude, you know, in a fun way, the backdoor approach, you know, mm -hmm. so that he's, um, he understands. And he's, yeah, he's, communication's very good. Um, and he does open up. He does open up because he knows he can talk to me. And uh, if he wants to know something about feelings and emotions um, or how he's feeling, I'm always saying to him, listen, you can talk to me anytime, anytime. So how do you handle or make sense of moments where there is relapse, whether in your life or in your client's life? In terms of relapse, in terms of... Um... In terms of relapsing into dark thoughts, suicidal thoughts, um, self-harm thoughts, things like that. Okay. Yeah. I don't have dark thoughts um, anymore. And if I, I mean, if I did, I'd be surprised, but because I'm continually working on myself every day. This is something that I think personal development should be something people do every single day anyway, because we are, um, we're, we're, we're human beings. So we, we are faulty at nature because we have a mm -hmm. brain and that brain is very protective uh, and I, I am science-based because before I was a coach, uh, I was an optometrist and uh, uh, I trained as a biochemist. So I know how the body works. Mm -hmm. But in terms of if, if I had dark thoughts, I would be thinking, of it, I would start to look at myself to see what I'm thinking. So uh, something that I always encourage people to do anyway, generally, is to check out. Uh, and what do I mean by that? It's simple exercise. And sometime in the week, if you can, maybe the weekend or the end of the week, just close your eyes and for 30 minutes, so you can do this anywhere, as long as you're in, you know, out of reach of anyone else, switch your tech off, 30 minutes, just close your eyes and just observe your thoughts. Observe how you've been thinking the last few days. Did you have triggers? Did somebody make you annoyed? Did somebody make you happy? Did somebody make you resentful? Where did you feel any anger or shame or blame? Did you criticize yourself just to monitor your thoughts? Um, just to see what could you, what could have got you to the place where, the, the, I mean, this, this particular practice is something you can do anyway, but if somebody's having dark thoughts, just to sit down and close their eyes and to wonder about what's been going on in your life. Um, what's made you feel like this? Is it um, something which has been going on for some time? what's starting to make you feel 
bad about yourself or bad about life. If I was to, that's a regular practice that someone can do anyway, to go inwards and, and just to acknowledge that you're feeling emotions and, and, and not suppress them, not trying to ignore them. And just to monitor your thoughts and feelings. So that's, for me, the first step is awareness mm -hmm. uh, in terms of when you want to change. If somebody out there's having dark thoughts, I, I would immediately start thinking, well, talk to someone. Mm -hmm. I will say, if you can talk to someone um, in terms of don't keep it into yourself because, yeah, you can acknowledge they're there. You, and sometimes when you're in a dark place, you can't think straight uh, and you certainly can't think your way out of it in most cases. So a good time, it's a good time just to talk to someone. There's so many services out there that people can approach online or telephone services or maybe a trusted friend who you know will be able to empathize and be able to um, listen to you non-judgmentally. So to get support, if, if, I, if, I were, if I were feeling a dark place, the first thing I would do is to acknowledge what I'm thinking and then feeling and then approach, get support. Because it's not that time, and especially at this time in, in the pandemic, mm -hmm. the, the global pandemic, that people are reaching out and, and searching for why their life is like it is. And, and more than ever, people need help. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that would be something I would start with. Uh, what are some of the ways you can help others identify mental illness, whether it be within themselves or maybe in a family member or a loved one? Identify, uh, identify a, if they're not, um, sorry, can you clarify the question? Just, just some ways that you can identify um, mental illness in others you know yes yeah right okay so um you know something like anxiety or stress mm -hmm. i mean high anxiety high stress you can identify it by how somebody's reacting or responding um within the book i talk about it that even you can look at yourself and how you are, are responding to stress or or how you're responding to being overwhelmed by work or how, how is your relationship doing? For example, you might have a, someone who is extremely controlling in a relationship. So could that mean they feel insecure? They're extremely insecure. Why do they need control in that relationship? Mm -hmm. So we can observe really, if somebody's got, for example, problems, emotional problems or, or um, problems with thinking, their thoughts, the way they're thinking, it can often come out in the way they speak. Mm -hmm. So somebody might might be um, always criticizing themselves, always putting themselves down, constantly people-pleasing, self-sabotaging. Um, there are certain cues that we can look for. Self-harm, obviously that's a clear indication, visible. So the way they live their life, are they... Um, looking for alcohol, drugs, many cues that we can look for in terms of when you when you meet someone. But again, you never know what somebody's thinking under the surface, really. Right. Absolutely right. So in your opinion, is it possible to have a healthy, thriving 
dating relationship or marriage to someone that is dealing with a mental disorder? You know, it's when somebody has got a issues, as long as they're helping themselves and as long as they invest in the relationship, uh, the person who's, who's has problems, as long as they're willing to deal with it and move forward and try and grow as a person. And as long as you are willing to un- try and understand them and support and encourage them, then there's always a possibility. Of course, there's always a possibility, but it's, it really depends on the two people in that relationship mm. uh, and how, what are they willing to do to grow that relationship despite one person's problems. You know, I've worked with clients on both sides mm-hmm. uh, and also seen people who have left relationships because the, their partner who has the problems won't acknowledge it mm-hmm. or, or won't deal with it. So it, it, how long can you go on for? It really depends on on both parties on how you can sustain and then grow that relationship but it is possible of course so speaking on possibilities of relationship let's backtrack to your dark times and you spoke upon your girlfriend that heard something in your voice and rushed home i don't know if you want to divulge any details but how how did she take that enormous amount of pressure of dating someone that was in such a dark place um that's something that i've never really thought about from from her viewpoint um i was just were there any indications that she was too stressed with your mental to to be honest i was in such a dark place Mm. uh i i just i was not thinking about anybody else but me uh, which is typical depressant I was in my own world you know I was I was focused on being a failure so I think my eyes were facing down Alexander Marie most of the time towards the floor um I think what my friends or my family or anyone else is thinking it wasn't really a problem with me my problem was me so Mm -hmm. looking back if you were to ask me to look back which is not something (laughs) that (laughs) I look back very often I would say that um, she was very calm. Mm-hmm. She was very understanding. She knew what it meant to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very patient. Um, yeah, very loving. And it, it's, so we never had any sort of crosswords or any words, really. I just got on with um, having to revise for my resets and, and thinking about the resets. I was, obviously I was depressed, but then... Mm-hmm. I'm a resilient guy. Uh, and one thing that I've always known since I was a child, I could far back and remember, I am an optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an optimist view in life. I don't know why. Maybe I was born like that. Um, people have always said, you've got a lovely energy, David. Um, you, you know, you are, when I was growing up, actually, um, as a young teenager, people said, people said to me in my class, David, you know, even when you fall in shit, you all seem to come up smelling of roses. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I, I have this, I do have a positive attitude about life and something that even in my darkest times, I guess it's still, it was still there. All right. I know in, in my line of work I, and personal experience, I 
that I deal with a lot of people um, that are dealing with PTSD. Right. So what are some of the strategies that you've been using with your clients to help them with PTSD? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think with PTSD, it's such a, it's such a strong um, emo- this, um, emotional problems, you know, and mm. some, what I, what I would well, always start with the process of gratitude God was out on Marie. Uh, whatever somebody's gone through, you just can't feel that pain because they're going through it and they're still um, emotionally, you know, in cases reliving it. One of the things that I always teach is that feeling that we can switch into that we can be grateful of something in our life. And the most powerful question I, I always get them to ask themselves is what could I be grateful for right now? Because the mind does focus on what's, what, what, what went on mm-hmm. or went wrong or what happened to me. And just to focus gently because it's such a long process. Um, overcoming that trauma of the past, what happened? I, I will start with, you have to be very gentle and very kind with yourself. And self-care is so important mm-hmm. to a person, to any person, really. So s- gratitude and then starting on self-care, just being, which is what everyone else should do anyway. But self-care for me is so important um, as a, a way of life, not just a tool. Same with gratitude. It's helping this person with, with PTSD just move forward gently very gently. So in your book, I love um, that you speak about keeping yourself stuck, you know, that to me hits home, because that's something I speak upon in my podcast episodes, and I speak with my clients. So tell us about Mm. keeping yourself stuck. You know, I know my, my listeners, have already heard me speak upon it over and over on countless times. So why don't you talk about keeping yourself stuck and, and ways to get unstuck? Right, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we get to a point in our life where, you know, you, you might just feel um, stuck, stuck in a relationship, stuck in a business is not going anywhere. Um you feel you're not growing and you feel you sometimes you come up i've seen people come up with questions like you know well where do i go from here my life is on is drifting instead of i don't feel uh i don't feel like i'm dying but i don't feel i'm living mm-hmm. i feel like i'm just stuck and drifting in life what do i do and one of the things you can do um a really cool technique is to, just to look at well what are you currently believing in that could be keeping you stuck. And psychologists and coaches and people like us call it limiting beliefs, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is something that we believe in, which would be keeping us stuck. So uh, an interesting uh, technique they can do is just spend some time, spend an hour, maybe two or three hours, just writing down what you want in life. Yes, journaling. Yes. Journaling spend, is the key. You, know, you spend a couple of hours because it's your life. Mm-hmm. Pardon? No, I was saying yes. I was clapping. Journaling is one key. 
Yeah. So write down, write down. Okay. What do I love to do? Right. I want to zip wide through a Mexican jungle. I want to, I want to scuba dive off the Canary Islands. I want to run a marathon. And what, 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 what do you really, really want? Because people know what they don't want. Mm -hmm. Quick to say, but often you ask them what they want and they'll say, Oh, I don't really know. I want to be rich. Actually, I want to be rich. Really? Well, <laughs> uh, no, no, well, no, no, really. And, and you know, I want to find a man. I want to find a woman. Really? Really? And then you find out that they actually want a, a loving relationship. They want some, you know, somebody who's going to get that, you know, somebody who's going to have their back, somebody who's going to grow old with, somebody to have great sex with. There's reasons why we want that person. But so they write down on, on that list of things. So you just say, I want you to do unedited, carte blanche, do whatever you want. Pretend that you can have everything you want. What does you really want? And then they spend some time doing that. And then I, uh, then I mention that to them then as to, to revisit it and then to examine why do you think you don't have it? Why do you think you don't have it? And then you get all sorts of, let's say reasons, but they call it excuses mm -hmm. down on paper. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have enough resources. Oh, I don't have enough money in the bank to stop that. Oh, I, you know, and all these reasons why they didn't have it or hadn't got it. Mm -hmm. And in there, I ask them to circle certain reasons and certain things have happened. It might be things like I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. Who's going to want me? All these things come up. And these are the limiting beliefs. And these are things that they can start to go to work with in terms of, right, getting yourself unstuck. Because these are the things, it's like, a, imagine your life to be like a, 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 a plane on the runway. It's wanting to take off. The engines are revved. The, you know, the engines are ready to go. And it's, the engine is screaming now, but why isn't the plane taken off? Why? Because we've got these blocks. Imagine these blocks just by the wheels of the plane, the tires, the tires are unable to roll because you've got these blocks in place. These same blocks could be fears, worries, doubts, excuses. One of the reasons that you've got these blocks by your tires, so the plane's just not gonna take off. The engines are already ready and revved up, but nothing's happening. So it's like a car where, imagine the car's your life. You, you, you've got the accelerator, but you, you've got the handbrake up. You're not going anywhere until right. you put it into drive. So when we discover these limiting ideas we have in our head, we can go to work on them. We can go to work on them. That's, that's a, a powerful um, start to gaining awareness. It was a pleasure having you on. And I know we had technical difficulties, <laughs> but I'm glad that we got through it. But Thank I do you. have one last question for you. Okay. And then I will bid you adieu. Um, last question. What does mental health mean to you? Okay. Great question. Okay, so physical health is obviously the body. The mental health is what's going on underneath? What's that conversation that you are playing out every day uh, to yourself? Because that conversation starts when you open your eyelids in the morning and it ends when you close your eyelids. And it dominates your behavior, which the world sees, whatever you say, whatever you do. 
So mental health for me is so important. It's as important as physical health, but because it's invisible and people can't see it, they might ignore it. And you might be able to get away with it in terms of pretending to be happy, confident and whatsoever. But mental health is something that it's under the surface and it's something that we need to continually work on as much as we do on our nutrition and our body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you. Thank you so, thank you. so much again for carving some time out to get on the show. It was an amazing, I hope to have you back, you know, some other time and maybe we can yeah. really dig so deep into men and why men don't talk about their feelings. I would definitely love to have you to come back on and, and talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love being a great questions, by the way, Alexander Marie. Really, really appreciate your time and uh, your efforts. Thank you. Have a blessed one. Thank you, and you. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with David Raman as much as I did. It was very informative. I loved how he didn't hold back on any of the questions that I asked him. Very raw, very personal, and very truthful. If you guys want to come on the show and discuss anything revolving mental health awareness from addiction, self-harm, to um, domestic violence. If you want to come on the domestic violence episode part two and discuss and let us know your personal experience as to how you persevered, moved on and regained confidence in yourself and away from your abusers, I will definitely love to have you guys on. So to get in contact with me, you can just email me. The, my email address is in the description of this podcast. And I can't wait for you guys to jump on and see who we have next for the mental health awareness episode. As always, have a good one. Blessed be.